from Snakes and Lattes, Toronto's premier board game cafe, this is The Snakes Cast, a weekly podcast where the game gurus of Snakes and Lattes discuss what it is about games that make them worth playing, with your host, Jonathan Moriarty. With me are my compatriots, Nicole Hoy. Hi. And Steve Tassi. Hello. And today we're going to talk about something called Euro Games. Now, you folks out there who are regular gamers are probably have uh, had enough of this particular topic, but a lot of the folks that come to Snakes are new to this idea. You've heard of stuff like Settlers of Catan, Carcassonne, Ticket to Ride, but you're not really aware of this big change that happened. Uh, somewhere around 1995, this game called Settlers of Catan came out, and it changed everything as far as the board game community was concerned. There was hobby games, you know, stuff that, uh, that, that, that mostly sort of hardcore enthusiasts plays, and there was stuff that, uh, that you'd find at Toys R Us, games like Monopoly and Clue and Trivial Pursuit and so on. These Euro games really changed how things how that, that sort of thing worked. Steve, Nicole, what was your first sort of experience with uh, one of these European-style board games? Um, for me, it was probably Settlers and Carcassonne, although I did try uh, sort of an auction trading game called Medici, I believe so, yeah. Quite early on, also, um, I was part of a game society at my university, and in our like little collection of games, that was randomly in there, in, in addition to like the, the kind of standard Euros. So what sort of impression did that make on you? Um, I was quite fascinated by it. Like uh, The pieces and the colors and the setup of the board and the way it played out was not really like anything yeah. I'd tried before. Yeah, the components looked really different. Yeah, from, uh, very different to the like little you know cards and plastic doodads and dice that are in very generic kind of games. It's a lot of wood pieces, yeah. you know, sort of warm painted kind of images on the boards and stuff. Yeah, and just the, the artwork and everything that goes into them is, is so different. Also. So Steve, how about you? What was your first experience with the Euro I honestly don't know. Uh, I've been I've been playing games my entire life, uh, from uh, you know, my dad teaching me backgammon and chess when I was a little kid to learning um, mahjong and, and whatnot when my parents would have friends over. Uh, I got into Dungeons and Dragons at around age 11. In high school, I was playing a lot of war games, Risk, Supremacy, uh, Titan, this kind of thing. So games had always been around me. Um, so. I'm not sure exactly what was that first one where I stepped over that line into what we now call Euro. All I know is it wasn't Settlers, because uh, I kept hearing about Settlers, uh, and I'd already played some others. I'm fairly certain Carcassonne and Ticket to Ride were among my, my earlier uh, Euro games, as was Puerto Rico. Um, I love Puerto so Rico. Good. So good. <laughs> it's, it's a big favorite among uh, the hard games <laughs> because it's so deep and so subtle yeah. uh, and, and offers so much. Uh, I, I, I actually distinctly remember my first experience with the art game. I was, uh, I was at a, a game store in New York called Neutral Ground. And I saw this, I was going through the other uh, games, I saw this game box and it was brown. It was a game called, it's an obscure little game called Medieval Merchant by Christopher Conrad. And I took this, and I had a picture of this fat European merchant on the card. Like, what is this? <laughs> this, this, this can I, I turn on the back, and there's all these, these wooden houses on this, this rich, sort of warm colored map of medieval Germany with these awesome little wheels and discs they put on. I was like, I had never seen anything like this. And I took it home, and I found that the rules were only two pages long. This is ridiculous for me because I was used to playing games more like this every year. Uh, games that were basically huge rule books, yeah. and uh, and the idea of something like this that was that was so rich strategically, but had such simple rules, was really weird for me. Didn't have section one point two point exactly like an Avalon Hill game. 
Oh my goodness, and, and it was it was actually easy to teach as well. That's something else that's great about euros, and it's one reason why we tend to bring them out a lot at Cinex and Lattes. Um, do you guys have a favorite euro game? I I would probably lean toward Puerto Rico. Uh, it is so good. And well, what is it about Puerto Rico particularly that stands out from all the others? Um, I love the the role choosing and the the cyclical nature of that. Like everybody gets a turn but in a different kind of order and you benefit from picking before everybody else and just the how how varied it can be from game to game. It's got that rhythmic flow to it. It as does. Well. Like, and you know, like, I, we, you know, I pick something, we all do that, but I do it better. You pick something, exactly. we all do that, but you do it better. And, and, I pick and so everybody's playing at the same time and there's no like, this guy's taking his turn and everybody's kind of sipping their tea waiting for it to happen. Everybody's engaging at the same time. Um, the theme of it is really rich and every time you play it, you can take a little bit of a different tactic and I really like that. Like, I'm going to go hard on Indigo this time. <laughs> no, I'm going to build all the great things this time and, and it just makes it really interesting for me to go back to that frequently. How about you, Steve? You got a favorite girl? Uh, Puerto Rico is definitely on the list, um, but uh, in recent years, I would say La Havre has probably uh, jumped the queue to being my number one. So if uh, Uwe Rosenberg's follow-up to Agricola. Yeah, and I like it way more than Agricola. What's, uh, what, what are there some major differences you find? Well, uh, my number one uh, preference is that scoring is much simpler in La Havre. Everything's worth money. The goal of the game is have the most money. Simple. None of this. If you've got the most of this, but none of these, then you score oh, minus yeah. three. But if you've got four of these and it's Sunday, then you win the game. Like, oh, what were you thinking? Uh, yeah, the Agricola scoring system was just ridiculous as far as I'm concerned. So Le Havre, while having a lot of the same sort of core ideas, the worker placement, the limited actions, uh, the having a, a regular sort of expenditure that you have to make sure that you're keeping up with, um, those are the same from game to game, but the scoring system in Lahab is so much simpler and more also, elegant. I think it also goes a bit farther with one of the things that a lot of people really enjoy about Agricola, and that is turning things into other things. Yes, yes. You collect things and you turn them into other things. Yeah, the intricacies of all the possible buildings and, uh, and you never know when a building is going to become available or whether or not a particular building is even going to be in the game this time. So you can never really have a strategy going into the game because that building might not be there. So, you know, don't get too focused on the steakhouse because the steakhouse might not be there. <laughs> so uh, we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, the, uh, the things that we like in Euro games, but what is a Euro game? Now, at this late date, you know, uh, all the, uh, more than a decade after Settlers sort of established the genre, what is it that makes something a Euro game and not some other style? Uh, it's the grumpy guy on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> For those of you at home, uh, there's, a, there's a famous European-style game called Kalos, which has an extraordinarily grumpy guy on the cover, <laughs> and uh, he's since sort of become the poster boy for and they're the on Fabio. What, man? They're, <laughs> they're, on, they're on so many of those games. It is crazy. It's true they are, you know? But, uh, I mean, for me, like, worker placement is a really big key for me when I'm thinking about like if it's a Euro game. For, uh, for those of you at home uh, who are familiar with worker placement, it's, it's a really neat sort of uh, game mechanic that was popularized by games like Kalos and Agricola and others, in which uh, you've got a board with spaces on it, and each of these spaces can be used to do a certain thing, and each player has a certain, a certain number of uh, workers. They might be cavemen, or they might be uh, 
farmers or they might be spaceships or whatever. And when it's your turn, you get to take one of these workers, put it on the board, and do the thing that's on that space. But while you're occupying that space, nobody else can go there. So players are going to take turns putting the people on these spaces. And, um, and, and, and bit by bit, the options dwindle. And once everybody's finished, you take all your people back again. So it's a way of having a fairly subtle interaction with other players. So you know, I, can, I can stop you from doing something by doing it myself, but without directly attacking the other players. And uh, that's something else, I think, that is sort of uh, particular uh, to the Eurogame style. There's not a lot of direct interaction, typically. It tends to be more indirect stuff. Uh, you, know, you look at things like Risk and so on. Uh, those are mostly about directly going after the other players, whereas uh, you know, games that we've mentioned so far, for the most part, involve interacting with the, uh, the game state, the board, in a way that either creates or denies opportunities for the other players. And a lot of people like that because of the way that uh, it means that they get, to, they get to play, they get to compete, but without being especially mean about it. We're going to yeah. talk a little bit more in a future segment about mean games, believe me. That's, that's, that's something we also get a lot of blast. Euro games tend to be more about uh, skill than they are about, well, can I kill you? Can, can I destroy what you're doing in order to benefit myself? No. That's, that's an American-style <laughs> war game kind of mentality. The Euro game is, can I do the same thing that you're doing, but do it better, more efficiently, uh, more uh, expansively, whatever it is, just am I better than you? And that's something else too that uh, that really distinguishes Euro games from the stuff that you tend to find at uh, Toys R Us. You mentioned skill; uh, that is, that is a huge component of it. Uh, and you're playing something like Snakes and Ladders, for example. Uh, the game plays you. You roll the dice, you obey the results. In Monopoly, you roll the dice, you obey the dice. Uh, in European style games, you have to make choices, and those choices are going to have a really significant impact on how it turns out in the end. And that, I think that's also a part of the appeal for Euro games that sense that, we, that your choices really matter. Well, that makes it a very social thing playing in Euro game as well. Yeah, you're playing, playing with people, not the game. Yeah, you're, you're playing with your friends, or you know, if you turn up to an open gaming day or something like that, you're looking at how they're playing the game and you're interacting with them and making choices based on what everybody else is doing and not what the game is necessarily doing. And that's what I find really appealing a lot of the time about a Europe game is not just the theme or the little wooden cubes and pieces and stuff like that, but it's the experience of playing that kind of game versus sitting down to play Monopoly. Yeah, the, uh, the chance element in games is also something the Euros have kind of a tumultuous relationship with. In the late 90s and early 80s, there was a, there was a period where the idea of having dice in a game was... If, if it was heresy. How dare you introduce chance to our perfect, pure games? And I, I think that, and, and, and although some fantastic games like Puerto Rico came out of that period, it was also in some ways kind of a dark time for Euro games because they were so serious yeah. and so heavy. And I think that uh, we've, we've seen things really lightening up a lot lately in the Euro game market. We're seeing more uh, chaos. Um, well, you know, designers like Bruno Faiduti never abandon chaos. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, this is a guy who designs games like Citadels and so on, where you are probably messing up somebody's plans, but you can't be quite sure whose plans <laughs> precisely you're messing up. Um, and, uh, and, and also, I think that uh, themes have gotten a bit uh, lighter as well. Uh, for a long time, it was, it was very much the grumpy guy on the cover, and you're scoring victory points to impress the king. And yeah. do some, but now we're starting to see more Euros to things like spaceships and, uh, and other fun stuff. Um, and themes you don't really see anywhere else. Uh, have you guys got a theme that you'd really like to see in a Euro game or things, the themes that you like to see in this? I don't know. I mean, uh, I, when, you, when you look at something like Alien Frontiers, which is essentially a Euro game, but spacey and awesome, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's fantastic to me because a lot of games with that theme are not as appealing to me to actually sit down and play, whereas uh, Alien Frontiers has that 
kind of Euro feel to it. You know, I, Eclipse also was, uh, I mean, for a long time, the king of the big epic space fairing type games was Twilight Imperium mm-hmm. 3. And, uh, and that was very much an American style game in a lot of ways, despite the fact that it borrowed the role selection mechanic straight from Puerto Rico. Right. Uh, Eclipse, by contrast, is very much a Euro game. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that's, I think that's kind of interesting, you know, that, that, that sort of space theme is sort of being claimed now. I'd love to see a Euro game take on the very North American theme of superheroes. Oh. Wow. That would be amazing, actually. You would need, okay, <laughs> you would need an exceptions-based game for that. You have to make it, again, you have to have that Euro-style, very simple rules. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, but you would also have to have a million different exceptions to those rules on things like cards and unique oh. player powers and stuff. Yeah. That would really be something. It would be great. I mean, I'm, I'm loving Sentinels of the Multiverse, which is a sort of uh, like a Magic the Gathering style approach to it. Uh, it does have very simple rules and a million exceptions, but it doesn't feel like a Euro game. It doesn't have that sort of uh, clever resource management. It's just more of a fly by the seat of your pants kind of thing, which is great and all. But uh, yeah, I, I agree, Steve. That would really be something to see. Um, so the and, and another thing that's happening that's, uh, is uh, is that you know I mentioned Eclipse before. We're starting to see more hybrids. Uh, between the European style of game and other things. I mean, uh, games like Twilight Imperium, had, uh, there was Twilight Imperium 1, Twilight Imperium 2, these were both very much American style games. TI3 grabs the role selection straight out of, uh, uh, out, of, uh, out of Puerto Rico. And then we're starting to see more and more Euro games also hybridizing these things. Um, so is, is, is there sort of an American style thing you guys would really like to see in, uh, in more Euro games? Or do you think they should really stick to being what they are? Um, I like uh, modular boards the way uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill Settlers or, or uh, yeah, Settlers is using it City um, of Horror City of Horror uh, Last Night on Earth right. these games so that the board isn't always the same every time you play uh, I mean Settlers it's the same board just the, lo- the goods are in the different locations yeah. I like a game where it's you never know what's going to be behind that door. Mm. Um, so I'd like to see more Euros use that sort of replayability factor, the, the variation. Yeah, I guess it's really only ever uh, variability with something like resources or, um, you know, cards that will come up, whereas the board or uh, rolls are always the same with, with Euros. So it would be nice to, to throw a little bit of craziness like that in there. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that provides you with a uh, good sort of introduction to the idea of these European-style games or Euro games. My name is Snakes and Lattes sometime. We'll be happy to teach you how to play some of them. Until then, this is Jonathan Moriarty, Nicole Hoy, and Steve Tassi. Bye-bye. Game on. And thanks for listening. We'll have a new Snakes cast for you every week at snakesandlattes.com. In the meantime, you can follow us through your favorite social networking sites, such as Facebook and Twitter, Or best of all, meet our gurus in person at Snakes and Lattes in Toronto. Until then, this is P.T. Douglas. Game on.